The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. So good morning, everyone. Today's scripture passage is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 22. And so if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew back in front of you, it's on page 608, 608. Once again, we're in Jeremiah, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Uh, And also, if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take the Bible in the pew back in front of you or grab one in the back afterward uh, to take it home with you as a gift from Park Church. So Jeremiah 22, beginning at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jared. Good morning. How are you all? Good? Good. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors on staff here uh, at Park. We are uh, in the middle, in the third week of a five-week series on the mission of God, particularly uh, looking at following Jesus, but also at following his way of life. Uh, Last week, One of our pastors, Josh Sines, preached on hospitality and particularly the art of neighboring and looking at who who is our neighbor from the story of the Good Samaritan. This week, we're really just kind of talking about a byproduct of that. We're talking about restorative justice this week, which is um, really just a, it is a working out of how do we love those who are around us. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that um, you haven't uh, just called us to you, but you've told us the things that are on your heart and the things that you want a redeemed people to be doing. And so, Lord, uh, this morning, would you um, speak to each and every one of us where we're at? Would you steward your word, Holy Spirit, to... um, to speak to each and every one of us where we're at. In a room this size, there are various experiences, various thoughts about what you care about and what we should be doing, various opinions perhaps on justice and what that means in today's society. Lord, would you do what only you can do? Steward your word and dare I ask my my words uh, 
to where people are at, to where each and every one of us is. You can do that, Lord, and we ask that you would. Uh, as uh, dear brother who used to preach here, Miguel Warren would say, would, would, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you? I pray that, God. Would, would also, would the words of everyone here as they leave here and would the meditations of all of our hearts, particularly towards the, the vulnerable, would it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, to begin with, I'd like to speak to some of the younger children uh, in, in the audience. If you are less than ooh, 18, because I know my 18-year-old is sitting right here. If you're less than 18, raise your hand for me. Yes, okay, I want to see where you guys are at. Awesome. Whoa, way in the back. Okay. Oh, yes, way over there. Fantastic. Okay, so... I want to start by speaking to the younger children, but for the older children, i.e., you adults, please keep an ear open as well. Uh, Okay, to the young children, here's a question for you. Do you cry? Yes. Same, same. This is going to be so good. I love your enthusiasm. So perhaps when you scrape your knee or when you break a bone, you cry? Yeah, me too. I've broken a lot of bones in my days. How about when you're sad? Do you cry when you're sad? Yeah, me too. Me too. Some of you are likely getting old enough to sense, like the song that we just finished with, that the world is broken. That's, it's not quite the way that it should be. Do some of you younger ones sense that? That the world's not quite the way that it should be. That we have sadness and brokenness in our world. I wonder, I bet, I bet some of you younger children have perhaps seen children treat other children unkindly. Have you seen that? Yes, yes. I wonder if some of you have been treated unkindly by other people or other children. Does this happen to you? Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the really hard one. So, I bet if we're honest with one another, I bet that some of you, like me, have also treated other people unkindly. Would you say yes to that question? Yes. Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate that. I have as well. And that creates sadness. And it shows our brokenness. Do you know that it's okay to cry? It's okay to cry. Yeah. It's perfectly fine to cry when you scrape your knee or when you break a bone. It is also okay and appropriate to cry when we see other people hurting. Or when we see that people have been hurt by other people. It's also okay to cry when we ourselves have hurt other people. The prophet Jeremiah, from whom we get the Old Testament book, Jeremiah, whom Mr. Jared read for us just a second ago, he was known as the weeping prophet. Did you know that? The weeping prophet. Anybody want to take a guess, young ones? Why was he called the weeping prophet? He cried. He cried. He cried because of the disobedience of God's people. 
He cried because of the injustices that were done by God's people because of their idolatry. And he cried because of the message of judgment that the Lord gave him to proclaim. You see, the disobedience of God's people, the injustice done to the powerless because of the idolatry of God's people, and the judgment of the Lord against such idolatry and injustice are all reasons to weep. Before we walk through our specific passage in Jeremiah today, let's, let's take a sprint through the context of what's happening in Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah begins prophesying during the reign of King Josiah, who is the reigning king of Judah. Israel had already split by this time into two kingdoms uh, centuries before that. The Assyrians, very powerful people, They'd already conquered the northern kingdom, and the only kingdom remaining was the southern kingdom known as Judah. King Josiah ruled in Judah from about 640 B.C. to 609 B.C. King Josiah was said to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. However, many of the kings before him and after him did not. Scripture says that they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They rejected God for other idols of worship, and they perpetrated injustice and oppression against the poor, the vulnerable, the powerless, and the voiceless. As such, they led the people of God into the same idolatry with the same results. And God is angry. He's angry over the idolatry of his people. He's angry about their rejection of him because of that idolatry. And he's angry at how their idolatry and rejection of him as Lord has led them to shed the blood of the innocent, to oppress the poor and the powerless. So, enter Jeremiah and the message that the Lord has called him to proclaim. So, with that context in mind, if you would, if you've closed your Bible, go ahead and open it back up to Jeremiah 22, and we're going to kind of take a look at some of these verses. Starting in verse 1, we'll read 1 and 2 right now. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word, and say... Hear the word of the Lord, O King of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Likely, King Josiah is deceased by this point, as are a few of the kings of Judah after him. When God calls Jeremiah to go and speak with the king of Judah in verse 1, likely he's referring to King Zedekiah. Notice here, the Lord is wanting to get the attention of all his people. In verse 2, he says, uh, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. This is not just a message for the king. It certainly is. But he's wanting to get the attention of all of his people. And what is the word? It's verse 3. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. 
and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. What's the message? What's the word? Do justice and righteousness. In other places, you might read, execute justice and righteousness. The Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. The word is used over 400 times in the Old Testament. There are times when the word is used for punitive purposes, as in the consequences or the punishment for a criminal offense or a wrongdoing. However, overwhelmingly, mishpat is used to connote a restorative sense of justice. When God's people observe others, all of whom who have been made in the image of God being oppressed, abused, or mistreated, they are to rescue them from the hand of the oppressor, as verse 3 instructs. When and where God's people observe systems and social structures that oppress people and keep them in oppression, they are to use their voice, their influence, their resources and finances, their energy, their sweat, their blood, and perhaps even their lives to rescue them and to restore them to their proper image-bearing dignity. The Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah. It's often paired in scripture with mishpat. Tzedakah, or righteousness, is not simply being a good person. It is doing things that foster right and caring relationships with others. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project states that this, is, this means to do right by someone. I like how J.A. Thompson discusses these in his commentary on Jeremiah. He writes this, The demand on the king was to administer justice, mishpat, and fair dealing, tzedek. These were significant terms in ancient Israelite thinking and are often linked together in the Old Testament. Both terms have a background in the covenant law, mishpat, having particular reference to the covenant laws and statutes, which it was the duty of judges and kings to administer, and tzedek, having to do with what was right and according to the norm. In meaning, they often overlap. The tzedek in Israel was the man who did what was right according to the norms and standards of Yahweh. The king and indeed the whole nation were required always to act in justice and fairness, giving consideration to all of the facts, as referenced by the ideal king of Isaiah 11. Part of the total task was to establish justice and fair play for others, particularly for those who could not defend themselves against the oppressor. So, the Lord calls his people to do justice and righteousness, especially toward the marginalized and the oppressed, which often in the Bible are listed as the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. Those who are lowly, marginalized, and have little power. And then in verse uh, four and five, we see two promises. One promise is God's people will obey him. That's verse four. So let's read that. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of the house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. 
This promise is a picture. It's a picture of thriving and flourishing if God's people will obey this word. Then the other promise, if they will not obey his word. Verse five. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. This is also a promise. It's a picture. But it's a picture of destruction and desolation to God's people if they will not obey his word and execute justice and righteousness. And you might have known in this one, he swears by himself on this one. Slow down and let that soak in. Earlier in scripture, God says, when he's asked, who are you? He says, tell them I am sent you. I am. This is the I am swearing by the I am. He, he does this in a couple of places in scripture, and it's generally either referring to destruction that is going to happen, and he swears by himself that it will, or blessing that's going to happen, and he swears by himself that it will. What he is declaring here is that whatever he's referring to will capitalize it, W-I-L-L, will happen. So, what does this have to do with us? Why should we care? Well, all of humanity apart from God pursues its own selfish ends because of sin. And all of us are tempted to use, abuse, and oppress others in order to get what we want. It does not matter your skin color, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation, your bank account amount, or your political party affiliation. Every, every human's chief oppression comes from within. The oppression of sin inside of us is universal to us all apart from God. We're all bent in on ourselves, wanting our own way, and we are willing to hurt other people to get it. It's the opposite of mishpat and sedek. It's a brokenness inside our soul, which we cannot fix ourselves. Our sinfulness is oppressive. It is an oppressive prison that we cannot get ourselves out of. Earlier, I mentioned that God's people were to do mishpat, restorative justice. When and where God's people observe oppression, they're to use their voice, their influence, their energy, their sweat, their blood, and perhaps even their own lives to rescue the oppressed in order to restore them to their proper image bearing. Here's the question for you. Is that not the exact thing that Jesus does for those who put their faith in him? Ephesians 2.1 declares that apart from Jesus, we're dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. So Jesus steps down from glory and he comes to earth. And what does he come to earth to do? To give his voice, to give his energy, to give his sweat, to give his blood, and ultimately to give his life. To rescue the oppressed in order to restore us to our proper image bearing. He 
executes restorative justice toward the oppressed sinner, those who are vulnerable and powerless against such oppression. I'm reminded of what Paul declares in Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus, found to be clothed in his righteousness that is not ours because of anything that we have done, are free from the slavery to idols that capture our hearts and drag us away from God. We're free from our slavery to selfishness and our desire to count ourselves more significant than the next person that we meet, be that at church, at work, in the grocery store, at the homeless shelter, or any other place that we interact with humans in this world. We are freed by Jesus from our sin so that we can be redeemed to God the Father, and as redeemed children, he sends us out to image him. We've been freed to do justice and righteousness, particularly for those who are vulnerable, powerless, voiceless, silenced, oppressed, abused, and impoverished. We've been freed from the prison of our sin to image the one whose very foundation of his throne is justice and righteousness, as it's declared in Psalm 89.14. So, a few additional words and exhortations here. First, far from being a Marxist liberal idea that's obviously going to drag Christ followers to abandon the gospel, and far from being a conservative idea that's simply trying to impose harsh and cruel religious beliefs on others, restorative justice is and should be the outworking of devoted followers of God, lovingly laying down our own rights and desires, willingly and courageously putting ourselves into uncomfortable places to stand in the gap anywhere we see oppression and injustice and say, no. It should not be like that. And some of the people that God calls us to execute justice and righteousness for, they might not believe what we believe. They might, in fact, be enemies to us and to the Lord. Vulnerable, silenced, oppressed enemies. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus does for us. He dies for the rescued, or to rescue the sinner who was at one time a lifeless enemy. Let me read Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Next, This thing, as I'm preparing, as I was preparing this week, just kept coming back to me and being stuck in my mind, so I'll mention it. It's the immutability of God. That God doesn't change. Numbers 23, 19 states this. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, 
and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God has not switched or changed his mind on justice and righteousness to be done by his people. I want to be careful with what I'm about to say next. So I'm treading on perhaps thin ice. The immutability of God, it makes me wonder, are verses four and five still at play here? Obeying his word of doing justice and righteousness brings flourishing for the church. Disobeying of this word and ignoring justice and righteousness towards the oppressed brings destruction and desolation. I think it should, at the very least, give us solemn and sobering pause. Next. If God is your king and Jesus is your redeeming savior, and as such, you care about rescuing the oppressed from the hand of the oppressor, here's the exhortation. Dream big. Pray big. Among the many things that happen when God's people do not execute justice and righteousness, we lose our imagination. We lose our wonder, particularly at who God is, what he cares about, but also I believe we lose our imagination and we lose our ability to wonder at what might actually be redeemed in our lifetime. I believe that through much of the civil discourse over the last 40 to 50 years, but especially over the last three Our view of God, ourselves, and others has become anemic. It's as if we've come to believe and argue that God only cares about a certain number of societal issues and oppressions over the last however many years. Our understanding, or at least our articulation and action over what we believe that God holds to be just and righteous is too small. It's too narrow. Our God is not a God of scarcity, either in his scope of what we as human beings do to one another, nor in his power to redeem it. He is instead a God of incalculable care and power from which nothing escapes. Nothing. No act of injustice, no act of social or systemic evil, no act of racism, hatred, or oppression is hidden from his eye. So, again, I exhort you, dream big. Dream big about what God would do through you. Dream big about what God would do through us. Pray big about things that he might do in our lifetime. I don't know about you, but when I think about the societal oppressions and evils that we have Many of them seem like the Red Sea in front, the Egyptian army in the back. They seem impossible. The situation seems impossible, as if it cannot be overcome. And I'll exhort you with this, and it's as much to me as it is to you. Perhaps it isn't the evil that is so big, but our view of God and our prayers being too small. 
Children, I want to come back to you. Hopefully you haven't tuned me out. I come back to you because your faith is astounding. You little guys there and you guys. Your faith is incredible. It's worthy of honor. I am amazed at how kids dream. And they often believe that the impossible is true. Far too many adults have lost that. I know that I have at times. Children, don't lose that. Don't lose your faith that impossible things can be true because of our God. Dream big, children, about what the Lord might do through you to love hurting people. Think and pray now about how you can love and care for those who are hurting around you. I really like what I have read and heard from Jasmine Holmes, and I really like what she writes in her book, Mother to Son. She writes this, There will be sin in this world until Jesus comes back. But that's not the message that he left with his disciples with. He left them with a responsibility to speak authoritatively into this sinful world and to bring a message of hope and transformation. That message won't be fully realized until he cracks the sky and comes again. But the glimpses we achieve only serve to remind us of what's coming in eternity. The tension of the already and not yet is not an excuse to throw up our hands in laziness or despair. It is an invitation to trust God and act as though his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven because we have the ultimate hope in knowing that it will be. And remember this. We're called to do restorative justice and righteousness But the scope of that is broad because the scope of what the Lord cares about and asks us to care about and do things about is broad. The oppression that we have in our city, our nation, and our world is broad. It's expensive. The thing that you are most passionate about and most driven about and you want to see restorative justice uh, brought to may not be the thing that I am the most passionate about and want to see restorative justice brought to. And where you and I would want to see justice and righteousness come to bear on the oppressed may not be where the next person is most driven and most passionate about seeing justice and righteousness come to bear on. That's all right. That's okay. Let's honor the diversity that the Lord has blessed our church body with in the things that we care about and want to see justice, uh, justice brought to. I had a professor say this to me recently. He said this, no one Christian can care about or help everywhere for everything. No one church can address every place where restorative justice and righteousness is needed but we darn sure better care about the things that God cares about. And we had better care about the things that he instructs us to care about and to do something about. So, may we here in this community be a redeemed community, unified in our love for the Lord and loving the things that he cares about. And he cares about justice and righteousness, particularly for the vulnerable. 
I'd like to invite uh, Neil up to introduce some of our call to action speakers. Thank you, Jason. Um, Aspen and Max, if you guys want to join me up here. Um, yeah, just what, what Jason was saying there at the end, that we're, that we're called into something. Uh, it looks a lot of different ways. You know, throughout church history, uh, different authors and theologians have spoken of the, the church gathered and the church scattered. You know, a lot of times we think of church, we think of like, oh, that, it's that building, it's what we do on Sunday, you know, when we show up. But actually, the, the church is the people of God who've been called out, called out of, uh, of sin and darkness and death and brought into his light and then sent into the world to image him, to represent him, imperfectly to be sure, but, but living in the grace of God, conveying that to one another in all the different contexts that he's called us to go. And a part of that is, is seeking justice in, in some of the, the smaller ways, but also the, the broader ways as well. And so when we, when we do our benediction each Sunday morning, it's actually a, a blessing to the people of God, to the church, to be sent back out to be a blessing to those that were around. Uh, again, so many different ways this can, can look, so many different demographics, um, where we can serve within, how we can interact. Uh, we just want to highlight two opportunities, two uh, partnerships that we have with organizations here in the city uh, that, are, that are doing excellent work. Uh, so we have Aspen here with Alternatives Pregnancy Center and then Max uh, here with Denver Rescue Mission. So I want to give them a few minutes uh, to share about the work they're up to. So please welcome Aspen. Yeah, good morning, everyone. I just want to thank uh, Park Church for this opportunity to come and share about alternatives. Um, my name is Aspen Peterson. I'm the Volunteer Development Manager. And if you're not familiar with us, uh, we offer free and confidential services to teens, women, and men who are experiencing unexpected pregnancy. And we also offer services and support to those who might be processing through uh, a past pregnancy decision. Uh, we are very passionate about providing a safe, judgment-free space for people to come and process um, to receive compassion and care. Um, and I was excited uh, when I heard, oh, we're preaching on Jeremiah, uh, because uh, this month we are celebrating Sanctity of Human Life. Actually, today is Sanctity of Human Life. Um, and we have a verse that the Lord has given us that I would like to share with you. Uh, it is Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, 13. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests, oh, pardon me, <laughs> went on. Anyway, uh, but uh, I just also want to thank Park Church for your partnership with us. Um, we have been able to do many amazing things. Uh, this In 2022, we celebrated 40 years in the community. Um, we launched a mama mentoring program. Um, we have a very... Uh, a thriving and developing men's program as well. If you'd like to discuss how you can get involved, um, I would love to speak with you. My mother and I are here at the table. Um, but thank you so much for this opportunity. Hey, everybody. My name is Max Griffiths, and my wife and I have been here at Park for about a year and a half now. But at Denver Rescue Mission, I work with supporters in the community and uh, specific partnerships that we have in the community. So um, at Denver Rescue Mission, a couple disclaimers, a couple things that people, some people don't know. We are a Christian organization, and we are not an animal shelter. I'm not joking. I get a lot of questions about that. So um, our mission revolves around changing lives in the name of Christ with the goal of returning folks that we serve back to society as, as productive, self-sufficient citizens. So um, it's rooted in Christ, what we're doing, and we do that. We've been doing that for 131 years. 
uh, nine different locations across the city, and we have four different strategies that we use to carry that out. So those strategies are right behind me, and um, they're emergency services, rehabilitation, transitional programs, and community outreach. So um, every, that spectrum spans everything from what you'd see at a typical homeless shelter to a transitional housing facility because we have all of those. So it's a pretty big um, uh, spectrum that we're covering. So a couple of amazing things, uh, well, many amazing things happened last year, but I just want to point out a couple things um, that were taken away from our you know, year in review. And one number that I have up there is 1,015,000, about 700 and, what does that say, 731 meals provided. That was how many meals we served last year. Um, and I just point out that number specifically because a million is a massive number. And um, I'm just, we're praising God that we're able to do that. Um, so how do you get involved there? At Denver Rescue Mission, there are many ways. So gospel communities, you've probably gotten emails about serving meals in the next few weeks at Denver Rescue Mission. And if you haven't heard from your gospel community leader about that, you should ask them. Um, but you can come and serve a meal by yourself with a group, all that. You can do donation processing. You can, you can mentor in our New Life program. Uh, volunteer in a corporate environment, volunteer with young professionals, tutor children, teach life skills, and many more things. So I do have one call for you today um, that relates to what both of us are doing and just the Mission of God series. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The point of this verse and why I share it is because we often stop at verses 8 and 9. We stop at grace, which is amazing, and it's the whole reason we have life in Christ. But we're made for work. We're made to work alongside our Father. And oftentimes in Colorado, it's easy to go search for adventure everywhere else but in your neighborhood with people who need help and who need the love of Christ. So consider that God may be calling you into an adventure to serve one of these marginalized people groups that we're talking about this morning and join him. He'll change you, I promise. Thank you. Yeah, so, so here are these as invitations, you know, kind of flowing out of what Jason was calling us into earlier. Allow the imagination to stir, to wonder, like, what, what might, might God want to do uh, through your gospel community, um, through you and a group of friends, uh, through your family, uh, through the, the influence you have, the opportunities that are there, and, and maybe connecting with uh, Max or Aspen uh, today could be the next step in that. Uh, but we really want to open up the space where it's not like, here are the things that we must do, but we are called to, to care about these things. And you think about that, who are the voiceless in our society? Who are those who are often pushed to the margins? Um, you know, the unborn children inside the, the womb, uh, without voice, without the ability to cry for themselves for justice, uh, but also uh, the mothers and the, the women and the families and those who are invested in, in trying to, to, to make sense of really complex dynamics and asking different types of questions and different pressures on their life to care for them, uh, to invest in them. And, and those who are, are homeless or maybe in transitional housing, or not knowing where their next meal is coming from. These are opportunities for us to, to extend the, the very tangible love of Christ with them. And yes, we want to we wanna go beyond providing a meal, but oftentimes it starts with a meal. You think over one million meals that are served over this past year, uh, these are interactions, conversations, uh, seeing someone else and uh, conveying to them the dignity that is theirs uh, because God has made them and, and he sees them. Uh, so allow this to stir the imagination and, and ask the question, what means next uh, for you all? But can we thank Aspen and Max one more time?
Thank you, Aspen. Thank you, Max. Neil, thank you. Um, before, we, before we prepare for communion, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, that you do draw us dead sinners. You call to us. You awaken something in us, and you draw us near. You draw us to yourself. Lord, as we are a people who draw near to you, would we also draw near to the things that are near to your heart? One of them being justice and righteousness, particularly for those who cannot cry out for it on their own or who, when they do, are silenced. Make us a people, Lord, who cry out, uh, who uh, stand in the gap, and who do justice and righteousness for the marginalized. And may the foundation of that be for us because we love you and we love the things that you love. So do that in us, Lord, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.